0: Welcome to The Fluent Show, a podcast all about loving, living and learning languages. Hey guys, my name is Kirsten and I'm here to guide you through the world of language learning, where today I have a really special episode for, I think, months, years, I have been wanting to bring an expert on the show to talk about bilingual parenting and multilingual families it's something that i see in the world around me and i admire it so much but as a native speaker of a language that i don't speak every single day it's also quite a daunting prospect not that i've got anything to announce to you (laughs) so today I wanted to dive in deep and the guest I have is Mariana Dubosc. She's lovely. You're going to really, really enjoy her. She has so much energy. She was shining all the way throughout the interview and she had really, really great tips. So if you also think bilingual parenting sounds... Somewhere near impossible. (laughs) You know, like, how do you actually do this? This sounds like a lot of hard work. She is going to change your mind. So stay tuned for that interview. It's fantastic. Before I kick that off, I've got two announcements I really want to tell you about. The first one is a reminder that our Women in Language event... The online conference that is designed to amplify, champion and celebrate the voices of women in language learning is taking place on the 8th of March. or It's kicking off on the 8th, but it's actually a four day conference and we have got over 25 speakers. Some amazing topic and really covering everything from motherhood to translation to community interpreting and how to learn languages. So there are so many talks. We cover four core areas they are living with languages working with languages how to start well and how to attain sort of mastery for lack of a better word how to get to the higher levels the conference can be accessed at womeninlanguage.com and that's also where you buy your tickets so please head over there before it's too late (laughs) because this show is coming out just a few days really before we kick off and I would absolutely love love to have you it is a conference where all the speakers are female however we do not have any kind of not for a second doubt that men will benefit and enjoy just as much and we do have quite a few males in the audience so please come and join us no matter what your gender no matter where you fall on the gender spectrum it's it's open to all and we are we can't wait to have you so that's womeninlanguage.com now let me tell you about our sponsor for this episode today's episode I want to give a huge thank you again to the wonderful lovely Speechling company Speechling is a website and an app You can download it on your iPhone, on Android, on the iPad. It works everywhere, seemingly. So Speechling is a website that makes it easy for you to practice and improve your speaking skills. So this is about more than your pronunciation. This is about your rhythm, about your intonation, about just getting every little thing right. If you've wanted an accent coach, this is your accent coach. It's awesome. With their system, you build your speaking confidence. You improve your accent by selecting what you want to talk about hearing it spoken by a real person, not a computer, and then recording it for yourself for feedback from a certified coach. It's currently out in six languages and Speechling is available, like I said, on all kinds of devices. So to support The Fluent Show, all you need to do is go to speechling.com. If you sign up or if you try it out, please do let them know we sent you. And if you choose to get serious and try out their unlimited plan, please use the code FLUENT for your own good and ours. You're supporting the show and you're also going to bag yourself a lifetime 10% discount and that's nothing to be sniffed at. So that's speechling.com. Try it for free and if you want to upgrade use the code FLUENT to get 10% off. Now after these two announcements I hope you're already excited to um, get into an hour of in-depth language learning discussion. So without much more waffle from me, I want to go straight to the interview with Mariana Dubosc. She is absolutely awesome and you'll learn so so much. If you are a bilingual parent or if you are considering it or maybe you you know you've just found out you're going to be pregnant Pregnant parents <laughs> I don't I don't know. Whatever your situation is, if you've got bilingual parenting on your mind, I would love to hear from you. I would love to hear your experiences. This is really, really interesting. So come and discuss on Twitter. Ideally, my new handle for this show is at the Fluent Show. So find us on Twitter or you can always come on Facebook, Fluent Language on there, or send me an email. And tell me about your own thoughts, experiences, and whether you'd ever give it a go. I have an interview today with somebody who is very special, somebody who I've known for a, for a few years, and it's an she's an expert in something that I know almost nothing about, but it's a ever fascinating topic, and I've been looking for an expert expert on this for a while. The topic of today's show is bilingual parenting and raising bilingual children. And here is my expert. Her name is Mariana de and she's host of the awesome Bilingual Avenue podcast, which is a show for parents who are raising bilingual children. Originally, Mariana comes from Caracas in Venezuela, um, but her family moved to the US when she was a teenager.
1: And since then, she's been really into language learning. Hey, Mariana. I'm so excited to be here and to be the first guest of the new spin on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to have you. It's it's really, really cool to have
0: you because I was a guest on your podcast, I don't know, this must be years ago.
1: Yeah, I was actually just looking it up. It was episode 129 and it aired on July 12, 2016, so a little while ago. And it took us about a year to arrange because you were pregnant. I was, and I remember. I think the first time I contacted you, it's so fitting. I think I was at the airport in Bonn, Bonn, and in Germany, just like kind of texting. Trying, when we first made a connection, we were flying out somewhere else. Um, so it's kind of really fitting that people who love languages also travel and connect with others who are also have that same passion and want to share it with others.
0: Absolutely, and you used to live in Germany, right? So let's take a step back. I guess for people who've never heard of Mariana, Mariana, would you introduce yourself and just tell us where you well, where you're from? You're from Venezuela, but why do you care so much about, about bilingual education?
1: Sure. So I, I was born in Caracas, Venezuela, and I moved to the United States right before my 13th birthday, and I've been. My exposure to English, you know, when I was in Venezuela, I felt like, oh, I'm such a great speaker. And then I landed here and I was like, oh, I know nothing. I know lists of fruits and colors and clothing, but nothing that's of any use. And I arrived, so like I said, right before high school, a time where you don't want to stick out. You want to fit in. And here I was sticking out like a sore thumb because I didn't speak the language. I dressed differently. My culture was very different and was unfortunate was that because of the school that I was in, it just wasn't prepared to handle the needs of English language learners. So my sister and I were kind of thrown in this classroom in the back of the school, all sixth, seventh and eighth graders were shoved there. We were showing movies every day. Our teachers just spoke Spanish because it was an easier thing to do. So rather than being introduced to any kind of English, we were just kind of written off. Yeah. 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 Um, and that was really frustrating. And I didn't know how to advocate for my needs. I needed it my parents. You know, we one of the big reasons why we'd come, what was at the top of our list when we made that move was making sure we had a good education. And we were kind of getting the opposite of that. And we didn't really quite know where to turn. Um, but I was lucky. I was... Um, through just luck, landed on a a really great program in high school, uh, the International Baccalaureate Program, which really actually tailors to languages and the needs of international students. Um, And from there, you know, I, I, I took off, I was able to catch up to my peers. But it was that experience that really kind of ignited a passion in me because I knew that I wasn't the only one that had been there and many people before me and after me would be dealing with that situation. So my became this passion, especially when I um, became a parent to help other parents with a similar situation. I, I was a former language educator. So I had a lot of experience in the classroom. I had my own experience and realized, you know, there are other folks in the situation, so let me help them understand what it takes to raise a bilingual child and how they can advocate for them.
0: Yeah. Oh my God, there's so much in there that I want to ask you about. Um, so, I'll allow me to take a second just sort of ask you about your history. First of all, the the International Baccalaureate, the IB. I know that qualification actually from um, from my time working in international student recruitment and it's always been a really well-regarded and sort of very highly rated globally very highly rated qualification it's been very very popular so it's usually taught in international schools how did you did you work or did you work did you go through an international school
1: so it's a it's another kind of story about why i'm so committed to this work um so all eighth graders in my county got this brochure in their mailbox about magnet schools. And there were different types of magnet schools and the IBs were, program was one of them. So magnet schools um, are public schools, they tend to have a more advanced curriculum And at least in my county, they kind of had different areas. So if you were someone that really wanted to pursue the arts, you could go to a high school magnet program for arts, performing arts, where you'd have your regular classes, but you could take extracurricular activities and other classes revolving around the arts. Same thing for science or math. And the IB school happened to be one of them. And I remember going to the open house for the first one of these magnet school. My dad raised his hand and said, you know, my my daughter is an ESL. That's what we call in the United States, essentially Mm -hmm. an English language learner. Would she be allowed into your school? And every single one of the directors said, nope, uh, ESL students can't be part of the magnet program. Wow. Yes, which was crushing and devastating. Oh, my God. So
0: you can't be in the language program as a language learner
1: right yeah that's great right so ironic and so i remember the last one came and my dad was like this is it if you go to the local high school you're gonna end up in the same situation where you're just gonna be shown movies um and so my dad he basically begged the program director and said you know my daughter's a smart kid we it's just we just got here she's still learning english will you please take a chance on her and he did and made an exception and honestly my life was forever changed I spent that entire summer trying to learn as much English as I could going to the public library daily so I could read and just try to teach myself as much as I could my parents tried to do the same Um, and then I I was lucky that program director kind of looked out for me. He spoke to my teachers, told them a little bit about my background and really made a difference in my life. And when I was able to prove what I was made of, I, I shine. And so I was lucky that we did finally come across someone who was willing to take that chance and see past just a label that I had. Um, and then once I was there, I was, I dove right into languages. I took French, I took German and just like fell in love. That's
0: incredible. That's incredible. The the hard work that you put in is is so outstanding and so remarkable. And it it makes me think it, it sort of brings me to my second question because I think not every kid would have, you know, spent the summer studying English. I think a lot of kids would have would have not felt in perhaps in would have not felt as as pushed towards that. So you really kind of knew what you were getting in for. You really knew, you know, this is it now and this is what I want as well. And that commitment at a at a young age, that's what I find interesting is that there is clearly like a parental involvement, right? With your dad kind of coming there and saying, Okay, no, really, please take a chance on my daughter. She's bright, you know, she's she's here. So you've got this kind of I feel like there's a parental guidance thread that I'm beginning to see.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think one of the things that pushed me was my parents made a lot of sacrifices to move to the United States. You know, they did it for our future. They said goodbye to a life that they knew. They had grown kids. They said goodbye to their parents, their friends, their belongings. And that was a constant reminder for me. You know, If my parents can make the sacrifice for my future, I have to do my part to make it worth it for them and for myself. So that, and that's a thread, you know, I actually interviewed my dad on the podcast because I really kind of wanted to pick his brain about that experience. Um, and it's something I'm, I'm constantly reminded of and try to make sure that I instill to my own kids.
0: Yeah, that's it's definitely I can I can tell that sort of you feel you know, you owe your parents a lot and you want to pass that on. So when did you well, not when did you start passing it on to your children, because I guess that's when you had children. <laughs> but you know, when did you start sort of feeling that wish on and how strongly did you feel like you can change your kids life for the better through bilingualism, really?
1: Well, it started actually after I graduated college, I was actually, um, I was studying pre-law international relations. And I came across an opportunity to, it's a program called Teach for America to teach in the classroom for two years, and then kind of understand what happens in the classroom and, and, and help to be informed because we all learn so much by understanding how our kids learn. And that's when I realized, wait a minute, this is an opportunity. I was so frustrated by not being able to advocate for myself or having my parents know what to do. I know what it's like to be an English language learner. I know the benefits that come from bilingualism, but the challenges that sometimes come about as well when you're in an education system uh, that's maybe not doesn't have all the tools. So I decided, okay, it's my time to go into the classroom. And I taught second grade English language learners. And each year was a little different. My first year was completely in Spanish. And I helped kids transition to English by the end of the year. There were other years that I spoke English and had five different languages spoken in my classroom. But that's when I realized, you know, we need someone at the helm, who understand what it's like to be sitting in those seats? And that was kind of my first calling, and then when it became time to be a parent, I knew right away. I'm like, we gotta raise these little ones bilingual.
0: Mm. Okay, so how is your husband American? Is he an English speaker? Does he speak Spanish? How does that look?
1: Yes, so he is American. Uh, we actually met in high school, but went our separate ways, and then re met. And so I often think about when you first met me. I could hardly speak English. And now like, here we are. Uh, so yeah, so he is a monolingual speaker. He knows we call like the little words. So like the little commands, like sit down, please. Thank you. Um, come here in Spanish. That's it. But he um, speaks English to the kids. So he does. We do the one person, one language we, he speaks uh, exclusively in English and I speak exclusively in Spanish. But despite the fact that he doesn't speak Spanish, he is my biggest supporter on this language journey. If I'm ever tired um you know he's he's there to help me. He's the first one sort of thinking about what other activities can we do he If he's gonna watch a cartoon with the kids, he watches it he puts it in Spanish, but then puts the English subtitle so he can follow along. but I feel like he sacrifices even that um on the radio when we're in the car. It's always Spanish music spanish songs and so he is constantly thinking about ways of how he can support the journey and i that sends a really strong message to our kids as well i'm not the only one saying you know say to me in spanish he's also there like reminding our kids of how our family dynamic works and that goes a really long way
0: yeah that makes me think of one of the questions i have um about bilingual education and particularly situations where, like you, um, I, I'm, I would be in a similar situation. If I had, if I had a child now, I would be a, in a non-native environment. Nobody around me speaks German. I speak English all the time. I speak English really well. I find it easier to a certain extent to speak English. If, if there was a kid and I was committed to one parent, one language. So I wonder, I, I would feel like I'm doing most of the work. Mm -hmm. And then the way you're phrasing or the way you're speaking about your husband, you're saying, oh, he supports you. So do you feel like he's doing a lot of the work too? Do your kids turn around and speak Spanish to him? Or does it feel like neither of you is actually doing a lot of work?
1: That's a a really interesting way of looking at it in terms of how much work you're putting in. So I I always feel a lot of pressure Mm. uh, because I am their majority of the exposure to the target language. So I do feel like, you know, in school they're getting English, but like everywhere they know I've had to work really hard for it. Um, But I think the big thing is what I recommend to parents is to sit down with your spouse if you want, I know you want to raise bilingual kids, and really talk about, you know, at the end of this road, what do we want our kids to be able to achieve? And so we had that conversation. We wanted our kids to be bilingual. We also wanted them to be able to speak and write, which which is very different than if you just want them to speak. But understanding what your end goal is is really important because. In parenting in general, there's so many turns. It's lots of forks in the road. But if you know what that end goal is going to be, you know, if you're going to turn right and you know, if you're going to turn left, you're not going to second guess it as much. And so having that conversation with him early on did help for both of us to be on the same page, did help for us to define that role. So although he's not working all the time at getting the right vocabulary and making sure I'm getting the right, my kids are getting the right exposure. He does work in other ways, so it doesn't feel so daunting for me. I know that I I can turn to him. I mean, just recently I was telling him the depth of the conversations that he can have with my daughter are much deeper than what I can have sometimes because Mm -hmm. she doesn't have the same vocabulary around feelings. And so I was able to just vent with him. I took a deep breath, but we both remembered, okay, we're both going to regret it if we give up and she's going to regret it if we give up. So now that I've vented and that he's listened, let's come up with an action plan. It's not, not so formal that we wrote something down, but really to think about, okay, how are we going to expose her to more vocabulary around feelings and character education and so on? So I think the the, the types of work that we do is different, mm-hmm. uh, but but that partnership feels strong and that goes a really long way.
0: Mm that's really interesting. That is fascinating as well, especially it it sounds challenging if you are like you say I am my daughter's exposure you know, and I guess you, you make some kind of Spanish in the life work. So how would, I guess that's a good question to kind of generalize. How would a parent who, or a couple, any parent, any couple where one parent is a non-native speaker in this environment where you don't really get a lot of exposure, perhaps to your target
1: language, how do you kind of make it happen? Are there steps? I think the best thing is, you know, start out with like that vision, right? Where do you want your kids to be? Um, and then you need to kind of assess your surroundings. So right now, um, my daughter, for example, she goes to an English-only school. So I know I constantly have to kind of make up for some of that language. But I do have... Um, other things in my advantage here. So we have a public uh, library that has books in Spanish. So I identify that early on and said, okay, this is like a thing we're going to do. We're going to go to the library every two weeks and we're going to get books in Spanish. So that helped me to kind of fill in some gaps. You have to figure out in your bubble who is a speaker of your target language and it doesn't necessarily have to be local. My parents live in Florida, I live in Washington DC. So that's far, but they're some of the greatest building blocks that I have. In part because I told them early on, I'm going to need your help. We need to, our kids need to feel a need to use the language. And so you're going to be really important. So we FaceTime with them. We talk to them. um, We arrange for us to see each other. I've also then thought about what, let me think about my kids' experience throughout their day and then throughout their week. And this is something that I actually encourage folks that, Um, I work with is don't guess how much exposure your child is getting to the target language. I actually want you to reflect. So I tell parents, take one week where you're just going to kind of take notes and see where the English exposure is coming and when, in my case, the Spanish is coming in and get a really good idea of how much is coming from you, how much of it may be coming from YouTube, how much of it may be coming from what you've got on the radio, Um, and then kind of make an assessment of where that is and see where you can add more. Um, And so the number one thing that you can do to help your kids is to make the interactions that they have with you. If you're going to be the main person passing on the language, really um, interactive, fun, and productive. So if I'm just with my daughter and she's right next to me and I'm just kind of be talking to her about chores, like, put on your shoes, time to brush your teeth, like that's only going to take me so far. But if I make those interactions fun and and and, and more engaging, she's going to get a lot more out of it. And so if we're just focusing on kids. Kids are going to learn a little bit different than parents. The best thing you can do is play with your kids. So you can set a minimum of 30 um, or between 10 and 30 minutes a day where you're just playing, that's the one thing that's going to help your kids the most. And maybe that's all you can do. Maybe you can only spend those 30 minutes speaking that target language. But as long as you make sure that that interaction is fruitful, you're going to actually see some really good gains.
0: Mm, this reminds me of a talk I saw at Langfest 2017 So in Montreal. They had a, a big sort of conference for language learners. I was there and the, one of the speakers was the mother of her name was Yulia Divyatkina and her child is she's called Bella. She was on YouTube because I think she went on the Russian Russia's Got Talent or something, and is a child, maybe seven years old. Um, and Bella speaks eight languages and can to to a certain extent converse in all those languages. And it was it was fascinating to see, of course, and you know, super cute. Child as well. But I I was fascinated by the talk that the mother gave and the way she explained how at what points in the kids' life they started adding on more languages. And they literally went like, Oh, she just she started getting into it. So she started going, Can I learn this one? Can I learn Turkish? And then they did a lot of work with um au pairs and nannies. And from what I've seen in the past is I've often seen advice to parents. Um, that involves you know bringing somebody else into your household so you mentioned your parents but there's also hiring an international nanny hiring an au pair is this kind of bilingual parenting thing financially restrictive is it or can anybody do this if you had no money could you do it
1: well I think it depends I mean kind of because every family has a different situation so the first thing to back up like the two main things you want and the same thing for adults but for kids especially the two main things you want to keep in mind because these are the drivers to learning a language is you want to create a need to use a language Mm -hmm. and you want to create exposure to use a language so exposure is basically like vocabulary and the words that we're going to teach our kids and you can throw exposure at them all they want but they also need to feel a need to use it and you can think about adults too like I it's like adults yeah I was thinking that exactly right so I um I learned a lot of German when I lived in Germany, and then I had to use it at my daughter's school because the stakes were high, and I wanted to understand what that teacher was saying. But if I had some of my English-speaking friends, um, I would just switch to English because it was a, it was you know, I, I didn't have as much of a need. So it's the same thing for kids. So it, get, it can be helpful to bring in other people. The reason why I bring my parents is because it's someone else. That creates a need. It's not just me. Mm-hmm. It creates a need to be able to speak it. I probably still do more of the like exposure because they see me every day, but they know with Lula and Lula, which is what we call them, they have to speak in Spanish. That's the need. So the value of bringing someone else is they're not just feeling like, hey, it's this crazy language my mom speaks and wants me to do. There's some value in that. Now, in terms of is it financially restrictive? It can be, or maybe it's, and, but not for everybody. My, my, closest friend here has an au pair and for her it's actually cheaper to have an au pair than to have a a full-time nanny (laughs) so it it, she needed daycare or childcare anyway and so she is um has an au pair that is bringing in additional spanish exposure the you don't necessarily have to have a person who lives with you if you have opportunities to create exposure need anywhere mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. So just the thing is to keep going back to that. What are those goals? Do You want your children to be able to be fluent? Or do you want them to just understand the language? That's a very valid goal. Um, and that's going to yield different results. And then how are you creating that exposure? If it's not coming from you, it's going to come from someone else. And how are you going to create the need? So bring coming back to those two principles, is going to help you make decisions along the way. This is very, I like this. This is very, very organized
0: and really thought through. I like the way you're going about this. I have sort of get this vision of you with like a pregnant belly kind of sitting there with your husband going, right, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? This is what needs to happen. <laughs> Did you ever need to sell him on this?
1: No, Uh, I mean, I think he's monolingual and wishes he wasn't um, and knows how much harder it's been to learn. And he has these great ideas of learning Spanish, but he's, you know, has a full time job, has two kids, has all these other responsibilities. And it just isn't as easy. So he's he's very he sees the value in starting with kids like my kids. That's all they know. All they know is being bilingual. And so it's just a big part of their identity. So from day one, he's like, absolutely, we're gonna get the kids. And I think it once you have kids, the answer changes. I, I spoke of my my friend in Germany, she's who's in English, also speaks English, beautiful English. I remember when I was there, um, she was just starting to think about her family and she told me she had told her husband, who was only spoke German, Hey, I was thinking, I've been learning a lot about what Mariana's saying. Um perhaps I should speak to our future kids in English and you speak in German. And he was absolutely hated the idea. He thought he was going to be left out and was like, no, I forbid you from doing that. Oh. And I thought, huh, what a shame. But now we just visited them in Germany um a few months ago and they have a baby. And he was telling me how he wants their baby to be bilingual. And wants Julia to speak English. And of course I didn't remind him of what he said three years ago, but I thought that's great. Once you're holding that baby and you just want the best for them, you're like, why wouldn't I pass on a language if I can?
0: <laughs> this is really interesting. And it, it reminds me of something that I read. Um, I think I sent you this article, but you might have, you know, you might have not seen it in detail. It's this article that I saw. It's in the Guardian and it's about the environment of Wales and Welsh. Now, Wales is a, is a funny old place and I talk about Wales a lot because it's the language I'm learning is Welsh. Um, and it's sort of this article that talks about Welsh first education. So one of the ways that the, the nation of Wales, it's one of the United Kingdom nations. So it's kind of just like a state in the US. One of the ways that they keep their language you know, alive and healthy and that they want to, you know, nurture their language is to have Welsh first schools where you can absolutely use the other language, but the teachers will speak Welsh most of all. And you get, I think I've, I saw a documentary about it where it's kind of the kids get points if in between classes they speak Welsh to each other and it kind of gets picked up by a teacher. So they don't really work with a punishment system. That is, that is that country used to have a punishment system, but for speaking Welsh, you know, so there's, there used to be this shame and oppression around it. And now they're trying to reward speaking it. And there was this, um, here's a quote from the article, there is debate among educationists. I don't quite know what an educationist is, but I guess it's you and me, Um, as to whether the immersion method of language teaching is effective or the opposite. For some children, being plunged into a classroom where they don't understand anything can be terrifying and isolating, and then they're not very happy at all. So what they were saying is, is what I'm hearing similarly as a concern from what you said about the the father in Germany, right? To to feel like somebody and I think this is this is very common with languages and bilingual situations. Somebody, no matter if it's the kid or the parent, starts to feel left out.
1: Yeah, and that is such a common concern that I see from parents. <laughs> that idea of feeling left out. And mm-hmm. I and it's valid. My husband doesn't speak Spanish, you know. But the first thing is, again, we have an understanding that bilingualism has a lot of benefits and that in order for children to achieve the fluency we desire, they, I have to speak to them exclusively. We trust each other and that I'm not going to, he knows, there's no doubt in his mind that I'm not going to be, have him in the room and speak bad about, about him, right, mm-hmm. to children just because he can't understand it. But a few things happen that are really interesting. First, again, we have that trust. So he will, if he's not able to follow along, he'll just speak up and say, what are you talking about? And uh, either my daughter at this point will translate or I'll tell him. Mm. The second thing that happens is that even if you don't speak that language, most of the time you can kind of follow along with enough little keywords. Because with kids, it's the conversations are so, um, I don't want to say basic, but they're kind of centered around the same things. So, you know, from early on, it was obvious what I was saying to my daughter because I'm moving around between, between my body language, her body language, what we're pointing at. Mm-hmm. Um, he's mm-hmm. able to follow along just fine. If, if we're talking about a story, he usually, unless it's my daughter talking about something that happened in school and neither one of us was there, he he's usually kind of aware, has enough context to be able to follow along. But again, if the opportunity shows up, he he just tells, tells us and we kind of let him where he's going. So what I tell parents is, hey, don't shut it down because you think you're going to be left out before you even start. Try for a month and then see, did you really feel as left out as you thought you would? Um, and oftentimes, in fact, I, I've yet to have someone tell me, you know what, we tried it for a month and I felt left out because there's just enough that you can pick up between conversation body language and the context that you already know that you can follow. So not every word, but you kind of just get used to it.
0: Mm. Oh, okay, okay. So this feels, it feels so, you're making it feel really possible. And I think you're making it feel like a task that can be done step by step. Because I was making notes as you were talking, you say, start with the vision, assess your surroundings, like basically see at, see what the kid's life might look like, build your network and create, you know, like, create the kids day in a way that they have need and exposure pretty yeah. much like in every day right. now i have a question i've got so many questions really <laughs> and and that was around the parent teaching and the parent learning as well and i think when people become parents often as a parent you're teaching your kids so much right you're teaching them I don't know, earth 101 and breathing 101. And <laughs> that's how it feels, right? So you, you know, you, you are constantly in that teacher role. And often parents come to me and they say, how can I teach my kid this and that and that? And, and I'm thinking, Oh, but I can also see like what you say about your husband, this feeling of, I wish I could speak Spanish. So my dream right. is often to teach parents who want to learn a language together with their child. Because for me, I have such a, I get so much joy in my life. And I want to share this about learning as a lifelong endeavor. So how can a parent, how could a parent make this happen? Is there an age, you know, do you think that works better when your kids start later? Will you always feel behind? Is it possible to learn a language while you're bringing up your kid in that language? In in my head, I mean, my head says, yeah, but nobody seems to be doing it.
1: And I think there's different levels of language acquisition and there's really no right or wrong. So I I personally always feel if you if you it is tends to be easier if you start from day one and if you didn't start from day one to start now (laughs) Um, because it just becomes a bigger part of that child's identity so let's say though that you don't you don't you pick up a language i want to learn um romanian and i don't know any romanian but i want to learn it with my daughter um i think it's actually a really empowering opportunity i think about when when my husband and my daughter at one point they knew the same amount of spanish and i was like this is really neat and then she took off and he's like oh okay um but there if you're Trying to learn a brand new language or one that you have a, a small foundation, there are definitely a lot of ways. So one thing is um, to focus on what your kids are into. So the best ways to, when my, when my daughter's being a little more resistant with Spanish, I'm just like, you know what? We're, we're going to turn to Disney princesses because that's what she loves. And I dive right into a game with Disney princesses in Spanish. And she just drives right in because that's her, that's her interest. That's, how it works with parenting in general, right? So the first thing is, let's say that I want to learn Romanian and I want to learn with my son. He's really into trucks right now. So I would look at what are, what is that vocabulary that I'm going to share with him because it's his interest. And then I would actually freshen up and study myself some of that language too. And I I find that sometimes I even have to do that in Spanish. It's been so long since I've lived in Venezuela. And so like, if my daughter starts asking me about bugs and insects that are like really small and sophisticated, I don't know the language. So I have to kind of study it myself. And it's rather than hiding that I don't know the word, I use it as a learning opportunity and I'll say, you know what? I don't know it. Why don't we look it up? So it shows them that language learning happens in a continuum and that you don't, it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to speak up and say, I don't know how to say it. And there are tools that can help you. So there's a lot uh, that to be learned there. But more specifically in terms of what you can do, um, you can, there's some great tools like Duolingo, of course, Memrise, um, so many different things. and, And I'll share some of the more tactical ones but there's a lot of modeling that you can do you can have a dictionary like a let's say an English Romanian dictionary handy on your nightstand and show your child how, how you used to, to look it up um, you can journal your own progress as a parent and journal and if, Teach your child what it means to journal their own progress, too, so you can look back and see how much growth you've done. You can celebrate when you're learning um, and you've conquered kind of another level or another milestone in the language learning. So there's a lot that you can teach by just modeling to your child your own language journey. And then more specifically, what you can do, um, you know, we talk a lot about policy. So I I shared earlier that I do the one person one language. You can do one called language time, which is to say, hey, for 10 minutes today, we are just going to speak Romanian. Um, I always like to play, so you can take out a board game, a simple game like Candyland, for example, Um and I like to introduce a game that's never been played. So you can set that expectation. I spoke earlier about need and to say, if we want to play this language, we need to speak Romanian. So everyone kind of turns on the switch. Okay, yeah, we got to yeah. put on our, our Romanian thinking caps. And I also like to make it a simple game. So you're not so caught up with, is it your turn? Is it my turn? I don't know what to do next. So something like Candyland is really easy. Um, and so you can set a timer and say for the next 10 minutes, we're all going to try really hard and we're just going to speak Romanian. Um... And so then you know, okay, it's just 10 minutes. I can do this. And then the timer goes off and everyone knows they can switch to English. Then the next day, maybe you do 15 and you can kind of work your way up. So that's another way to show, um, hey, you're not diving. I'm not expecting you to now go from zero to 100 in your Romanian language. and you have to speak Romanian to me all the time. Um, It allows you to sort of scaffold those intervals and set those expectations of when a language should be spoken and to whom.
0: Mm, I love this. And I love this as an emphasis as well of, you know, family spending time together. And also that you are totally bringing in the digital tools, you know, like if you're as an adult using Duolingo, why not use it with your kid? I mean, it, it looks very gamified, right? It looks very engaging in that way anyway.
1: Right. And there's different games you can play on Duolingo as well. So I see that there are a lot of kids who are using it. And our kids are digital natives. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we want to be careful and create some boundaries so we don't rely purely on technology, especially because research has shown that the interactions with mom and dad or an individual are more powerful than screen time. However, you can still leverage that connection that they feel with technology and use it purposeful. So, for example, um, I do my daughter's hair, you know, when I braid her hair, if if she's not, you know, if she's distracted. She doesn't realize as much as what I'm doing. But if 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 she's not, then she's like, "Oh, mommy, that hurts!" In Spanish, of course. But you're pulling my hair. So I'm like, okay, the five minutes that I braid your hair, you get to watch Peppa Pig, but it's in Spanish. And so <laughs> they know, okay, I I make that time purposeful, so that way she doesn't notice that I'm pulling her hair and she gets a little bit of Spanish exposure. So you can use tools that way um, with a, with a good purpose and a good intention. As long as you set the expectations, my kids know there is no way that they're going to watch YouTube unless it's going to be in Spanish. So again, it creates that need and those boundaries around language.
0: Mm-hmm. And it creates a big desire, right? Because kids, right. I don't know, the kids that I've seen love particularly diggers on YouTube, there's a lot of (laughs) digger videos. Now, you mentioned earlier that your daughter goes to an English speaking school. So does she ever run into? I don't know, does she ever stand out as different from her from her classmates? I
1: think, I mean, that's an interesting question. I don't it's not something she's brought up, but I actually think um, she takes a lot of pride in being bilingual. Um, she thinks it's kind of cool. And it's happened that we'll be at a plated and I, I'll just say something in Spanish and the kids will come up and say, you speak Spanish. How do you say, <laughs> do you say this? And I'll say, actually Juliette, she knows and she just, she like kind of glows and it's like, I know how to say it. <sighs> so, you know, I think some of it depends on personality and maybe where you are. Um, I think we live in an area where, you know We're in Washington, D.C., and maybe we don't have a ton of Spanish speakers, but it tends to be a more international city. I know that's not everyone's experience, but I think that we can instill a little bit of pride and show our kids, you've got this really cool ability um, that maybe others don't. How cool is it that you can talk to more people? So I think that that's where we step in as parents, um, really understand, make sure their feelings are heard, but then make sure you let them know the great benefits of bilingualism from an early age.
0: Hmm. Mm-hmm. I remember... I remember dreaming, you know, when I first started learning English in school. I remember dreaming, oh, if I was bilingual. Oh, <laughs> like look at look at Addy—he speaks Yugosla- Yugoslavian. It, well, we called it Yugoslavian at the time at home. I don't even know what language that really is now. <laughs> but you know, like he speaks Yugoslavian at home, and <laughs> that's just right. so interesting. And um, something that I I'm taking from what you're saying that I think is worth emphasis. Em- emphasizing is this sense of pride and this sense of joy in being able to speak the second language because that's not always not every culture values both of its you know bilingual cultures don't necessarily value both of their languages the same and there's a lot of issues of languages being uh, suppressed or just considered maybe the less educated one and, you know, in a, in a kid's environment, perhaps when they grow up, I'm thinking to my own upbringing. And this is, I don't know, I've, I wrote this whole story, I wrote it all out to share with you, um, because I thought, hmm, I wonder what Mariana would make of this. So when I was a kid, I was basically in a German speaking environment. And I always thought, oh, this is mo- monolingual. But the more I think about it now, German has strong, strong dialects. You probably encountered this in Germany. I did. <laughs> <laughs> You know, the dialect doesn't really it's not like Hochdeutsch. It's it's very no. different. It's its own thing. If yes. if we were Spain, I always think it would be a language because languages true. it's political right? right so i had the moselle moselle franconian dialect very much in my family my dad like my dad and his mom would speak like that to each other my mom and her mom would and her dad would speak like that to each other they do still do it um but all of my family are farmers and i'm more i was like the school kids so as i went through education and i liked education i think i was like bookie and I was always a reading kid and obviously I'd never read in mosel Franconian because it's not written as such it's more of a spoken dialect and they never really spoke to me in that dialect not to me they they would speak maybe a hybrid or much more something much closer to Hochdeutsch and I spoke something much closer to Hochdeutsch I can't really you know remember my parents ever addressing me in mosel Franconian, as if I am I don't know and I always felt like as if I am almost one of them you know one of the village community and when it came to occasions when I tried to reply in dialect or speak dialect my parents would they'd be amused they would um sometimes mock me my dad my dad's mean <laughs> and um and kind of point you know they really point out what I did wrong which is exactly what we don't want to you know I me having been a tutor you being an educator. You know, it, it, that is the worst thing you can do because you're showing somebody they're doing it wrong and you're basically putting them off. And that's what happened to me. Um, as a, as a result of that, I started feeling more discouraged and I sort of stepped away from learning about the dialect. Now I'm as an, now I'm an adult. I come back to it more, more through the Luxembourgish language. Um, because A, I realized how close Luxembourgish is and that's an official language of somewhere. So it can't be that dumb. Um, and and B, really, it's, um, I don't really care what my parents say anymore. Um, so today, I, s- I met this other guy and I was talking to him. He's a Belgian. Oh, I don't know what national he is. It's very interesting mix of person. But Belgian who speaks Flemish and French. But he's originally Nigerian. So his parents are immigrants from Nigeria. And they spoke Igbo and Yoruba. And now he says he, the same as me. I was, I was like, no way did this happen to somebody else. This is crazy. Like he can understand everything. But when he tried to speak it at them, to them, they were just amused and kind of shrugging. And I don't think this is parents wanting to discourage their kids. I think there must have been some kind of sense of value around the home or native or I don't know, not ambition language. Do you know what I
1: mean? Yes. And so, of course, as as you share that story with me, um, I cringe (laughs) Um, for many reasons. The research is actually really interesting on it. it, I've looked at this issue in terms of how, because I get this question a lot, how should a parent reply when um, let's say I'm speaking Spanish to my daughter and she speaks to me in English, which should be the ideal response. And it's not very different from what I wish your parents would have done. And that is to say, um, the first thing is we want to praise our kids. So I have a positive reaction. So let's say I say something in, in, in Spanish and she answers me back in English. My instinct may be, say it to me in Spanish, right? Because I'm like, God, I'm working so hard. Why won't you do it? That's what a lot of parents want to do. But the first thing is you want to have actually a positive reaction because kids are experimenting with language and they're producing words, whether it's in the target language or the minority language. And we always want to encourage it. And then so it's to say, you know, have a positive reaction and then to model the words you would have wanted to see. So let's say um, we're walking down the street and she says, "Um, mommy, look at the dog. Rather than me saying, no, you should have said it in Spanish. I would say, see. Un perro mira el perro. So I basically got a positive reaction, and then modeled. So what I wish mm-hmm. your parents would have done, and your friends' parents would have done, is. It's, yes, you probably maybe said it funny. Maybe your grammar wasn't great. Maybe your accent wasn't great. But the first thing should have actually been to praise you for taking that leap and experimenting with it. And then just model the words with the right grammar, maybe the right accent, quote unquote, right accent. Because to me, there's no right accent. Yeah, um,
0: there's no grammar to that dialect in, in my head. Of course there is, but exactly. God, so I couldn't maybe- summarize it.
1: Right. So maybe just if you said it funny, however it was you said it funny, um, have a positive reaction and model what you, what you should have said in a really gentle way. Not to say, Hey, you should have said it this way, but just (laughs) like I said, Oh, you said, look at the dog in English. I just said the same thing. Yes, I'm seeing the dog in English, but I would have said it in Spanish. So that gives our kids the right words. So we really want to be, um, especially in those early years, whenever our kids are putting themselves out there and experimenting with language, um, we really want to encourage them. And it sounds like because of it was something in your surrounding, you were probably learning the language passively, which is what happens when... Um, that a parent maybe speaks Romanian to their child and their child always answers in English, mm-hmm. they're learning Romanian passively. They're not actively engaging in it. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of value in still learning a language passively, but you're not going to learn it 100%. Um, so we want to make sure that we are super careful in those interactions and we just want to boost up their self-esteem to encourage them to continue to explore the language.
0: Oh, that's fascinating. And it, I think there is something you know, because it's not a written, educated dialect, I think in my particular home situation, I always felt like, well, they don't want me to, you know, go out into the world speaking dialect. They want me to go out into the world speaking proper German. So I always felt like there was this kind of second you know like the the lack of pride which made me, me made me think of that as well whereas now I go back and I'm thinking oh my god I'm so proud of my own dialect. it's so cool
1: right <laughs>
0: but you know that's that's how we grow up you brought up the the passive that was that was something that reminded me um of a question I wanted to ask you say you've got a child perhaps who is five six maybe even 12 maybe sort of a beginning teenager and you've given them you know they have had passive exposure throughout their life But you increasingly become aware that they're not really talking back. Is there, are there ways of um, encouraging them to produce even after many years, changing habits?
1: Yes. Yes. Um, So the best way is to play I, I keep coming back to that because kids learn so much through play mm-hmm. and so you know even though I've spoken Spanish to my daughter from day one there are times that she wants to switch because she knows more English it's just more around her around her she gets it in school she gets it from friends she gets it from everywhere and the Spanish exposure really comes for me so I'm very aware that that's her more dominant language and so there are times that she'll say like I don't want to I don't want to speak in Spanish um mm-hmm. and so what I'll usually do um it's obviously easier from home um is I'll, I'll go into her room and sort of start playing uh, And and you know she she's usually still pushing back and I'll say okay that's fine um I'm gonna play in Spanish if you want to play with me we'll do it in Spanish if you don't um then I'll leave or I or, or you or I'm not going to continue to play um and and that sort of sets that expectation. Um, and I try to be really soft. I don't say, I'm not going to play with you if it's not Spanish. I'm just going to say, okay, I understand that you don't want to sp- um, speak Spanish. But if you want to play with me, we're going to do it in Spanish. You have the choice. You know, I don't force her into. You have the choice. I have yet to have her say, fine, I'm not going to play with you and walk away. You know, <laughs> so I make it really positive. Give her the choice and say, okay, but remember, you and I speak Spanish. And we're and right now we're playing and we're playing in Spanish. Um and so, it brings it back to like I bring it back to her interests. I bring it back to what she's into, and then she kind of pushes and then engages in Spanish. So mm-hmm. if you're getting pushback, which is very common, um, it's something that every bilingual parent will likely face. Yeah. You want to go back to that, creating that need, um, and so bringing it back to play, bringing it back to you where your kids enjoy, mm-hmm. and just saying, okay that's fine if you don't want to. But when you do it with me, it's got to be in that language and setting that expectation. Then the other thing, so need is a very important piece. It's the harder piece of the two. But then you can't forget about exposure. If your kids are pushing back, it's likely because they don't necessarily have the words that they want to say. or It's not top of mind. So you want to make sure that you're looking at are they continuing to get exposure in the language that is relevant to them. So really easy. Let's say that I'm the, let's say my husband is the one that always takes her to the playground and I've never gone with her. That's not the case. But just to put an example, she's only going to know playground words in English then because she hasn't gotten them with me. So assess if they, if there's certain situations that they want to communicate, I said earlier about emotions, um, then you want to make sure that your kids are getting that exposure in the language that they need. So they have the words. So it goes hand in hand, always going back to exposure and need exposure and need finding that balance. Mm hmm. And
0: is one parent, one language the only model that is currently sort of endorsed or would you, would you, can you think of others?
1: Yes. Yeah, so there's, there's actually five, wow. but the two are more common. So one person, one language, um, which is often referred to as one parent, one language. But I've, I've heard like I, a single mom that I interviewed on the show, she, she did one person, one language with her nanny. Her nanny was the one used in Spanish and she was English. So that's very common. The second most often used is minority language at home. And that's one that I would love to use, but we can. And that's if my husband was a Spanish speaker, mm-hmm. then we only speak the quote unquote minority language in the home. We would only speak Spanish at home. That's a very powerful way of teaching your kids. Not everyone has the luxury because not both parents are bilingual in the language you're working on. Um, but that, that sets the expectation that the language spoken in the home is always going to be yeah. the target language. God, that'd be hilarious in my house. Right. Um The third one is, is a variation of what I mentioned earlier called language time, where you designate specific times mm-hmm. to learn the language. Um And someone who does this really well is Trilingual Mama. Her family lives in France. She teaches her kids or she speaks to her kids in English and Spanish. And what she does is she dedicates two weeks in English. And then two weeks in Spanish. Wow. Oh, my right. God. That's so cool. I know. It's it's really fascinating. And so what they do when transition transitions, they have like a big, they always transition like on a Saturday and they have a big breakfast that represents the culture that they're switching to. And it kind of sends a signal to everyone. Okay, we're going to switch. And she, she'll assess that there are times that she feels like maybe Spanish is hurting a little bit. So she'll do three weeks of Spanish, one or maybe three of Spanish, two of English and kind of change it that way. But you can also do language time. Um like I said, that 30 minutes of play in that language. Basically, language time is to just designate a time when a language is going to be spoken. Mm -hmm. And what I like about having clear designations is that if you're just constantly switching with your kids, you can't fault them for them switching back with you because you haven't set those boundaries. Kids and the bilingual brain can has such great abilities. They can change so quickly, but you just have to make sure that you set that expectation. So that's number three. Number four is one that I've Hardly seen use. I think maybe there's only one person that I've kind of seen this done well. And that's when you wait until a child has a pretty solid foundation in one language, typically around five or six, and then you switch to another. Um, so I know someone who's done this with their kids. Um, but that's, again, very rare. And then the fifth one is a flexible language policy where it's just like Spanglish, Denglish, where you're just Runglish. You're just always kind of mixing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't recommend that one. Again, the brain can switch It takes actually high linguistic ability to be able to do that. However, um, again, it doesn't send that signal to the kids and I I don't feel like it creates a need. I I say I have a flexible language policy with my, my brothers, my brother and sister. We will speak Spanglish all Mm -hmm. day, every day, Mm -hmm. but that's because we know that the other one does too. um, And we're not, trying to learn spanish or english we both know and we just go whatever word feels comfortable it's not something i'd recommend if you really want to achieve fluency with your kids
0: okay so it's really one parent or one person one language Minority language at home or dedicated language time, and that can, you know, when you first say that, I'm thinking, okay, so from four o'clock to six o'clock, and then this massive schedule. But the way you're saying it is, you know, you just switch after two weeks. That sounds a lot more manageable, and sounds really cool. It sounds really fun because I think if you have a uh, non-native or a a non-speaking, non-fluent, non-skilled parent partner you know, um, that gives them time to actually perhaps catch up and kind of, you know, keep up with the
1: kid. Well, but so here's the thing I wouldn't recommend it. Like in your case and in my case, I would not actually recommend that one because, um, it is. So and the way it works with Maria is because her family lives in France and she's trying Mm -hmm. to teach these uh, two other, two other target languages. Um, when it's a slippery slope, when you start Allowing um, the community language to kind of creep into your home, especially if you are the main speaker of your target language. Mm-hmm. So, I, when my daughter pushes back, one of the other things I remind her is because she'll she'll say, "Mommy, but you speak English," and I'll say, "Right, but you and I, we speak Spanish." Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So it sets that expectation. If you allow those two weeks to come in, it's it, it just creeps in and creeps in, and it's an oper- an exposure opportunity that is lost Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i always think about that every time i switch to english that's an opportunity that i could have shown taught and modeled a word in spanish but i could have spanish week mariana well that's different that's where i speak bad spanish to a child That's okay. I mean that's I guess what I wouldn't recommend is I wouldn't recommend like if someone in my case to then do 2 weeks of Spanish, 2 weeks of English mm-hmm. because you're already getting plenty of English in the community and so you're always kind of trying to keep up to that English. Um so that's where, you know, you really have to kind of assess your level of comfort is also important. The bilingual journey is long. So if you need to give yourself that break, then maybe but just know that the linguistic ability that they'll be able to achieve that language is going to decrease. Now, if you're, if you're saying, hey, we're going to do two weeks of German, two weeks of Spanish, that's a different story. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. If, if you're going if to, if two of those weeks are going to be your community language, I wouldn't recommend it because you already have plenty of exposure to the community language.
0: Wow, there is so much to consider. This is really, really cool. Wow. Now, you haven't come up with all of these sort of I mean there is a lot of wisdom in what you're what you're sharing and you really know what you're what you're doing so you really know what you talk about it. You obviously haven't come up with this just from observing your own family and what works, you know, you've got a lot of a lot more exposure to experts through Bilingual Avenue, is that right?
1: That's right. Yes. And um I think the similar to your situation my husband edits the podcast. So It's just great. We always learn so much <laughs> from it. Hello
0: husband. Um,
1: right <laughs> if um if we're feeling you know overwhelmed or tired or whatever we just uh you know the podcast is really re-energizing
0: absolutely so can you tell me about some of the guests you've had what i'm okay so if i was in episode 162 three years ago how many episodes are you have you produced
1: yeah I, that's actually a good question let's see i have to quickly look that up and oh the podcast has been going for almost um three years it's actually on pause right now mm-hmm. um but, um, we're coming right back. So, one hundred and sixty eight episodes. yeah, oh, okay. you're you're one twenty nine. So yeah, it, it's been really interesting. The way I do it, um is I have I switch between experts. I switch between parents because it's one thing to hear the theory and it's another one to really hear how it's implemented and every single family I've implemented does something differently, which is what's so fascinating. Um, and then I do solo episodes where I basically answer a question that I've gotten emailed to me uh, because if one wonders, others probably do as well. Mm-hmm. So when I think about some of the experts, some of my favorites, I mean, there, uh, there's so many. Um, so I'll just touch in sort of like different areas. I've talked a lot about play and episode 17, Susanna Dopke speaks really well uh, about the value of playing with kids and sort of some goals that we can set as parents to really make sure that we've got the right conditions set up for our kids Mm -hmm. Um, and another one that I think is worth highlighting is there's a lot of parents especially in those early years that worry like it can bilingualism cause a speech delay is my child going to speak later than their monolingual peers oh that's a big question Right. What should I expect from a bilingual child? Like, when should they be saying their first words or when should they be doing sentences? And so episode four, um, I interviewed a specialist, uh, speech and language pathologist, who kind of walks through what you should expect and then tells you if you do think your child's going to uh, has a speech delay, which I should clarify, uh, bilingualism does not cause speech delays. If a child's going to exhibit a speech delay um, as a bilingual, they were going to exhibit it as a monolingual. You should not drop a language because of a speech delay and mm-hmm. dropping it will have absolutely no impact. Uh, but she does talk, if you do think you have a speech delay, here are some things to kind of consider. Um, I've also, for those that are, have a child in a language school, I spoke to a dear friend of mine, uh, that's episode 65, Berenice Pernalete, and she talks about what it takes to re- to teach a bilingual child. So it's always good um, to kind of understand that classroom perspective. Mm-hmm. That's um, 65. 65 yeah all of Um, these
0: will be in the show notes as well so if you're listening now you just need to look at the show description they're all going to be right there
1: Perfect. Um, I'm also fascinated about what the bilingual brain can do, um, how malleable it is, how it can just switch from one language to the other. So episode 77 with Dr. Julie Ducias, this is what she does for a living is study the bilingual brain. is fascinating. Um, it's very applicable for adults as well. Um, another one I like is from a friend of yours, Lindsay. <laughs> Lindsay does languages. Oh, yeah. She's often on this, on this show. She's my co-host. Yes, Um, she's on episode 93, and this goes to uh, some of your questions about can you learn a language with um, a child? So she has really great tools for teaching your kids a language and then for you as an adult. So it kind of brings those two together. If you want really tactical things that you can do as a family, episode 93 is good. Mm. Um, You also touched on some of these decisions about bringing an au pair or a nanny being, um, are they – financially restrictive and I invited a, a, a really great financial planner uh, that's on episode 101 Lauren Lyons Cole. Yeah. She's a language learner herself but she talks about If you want to save for a trip, for example, a trip to travel to a destination that speaks your language, how can you save for it? How can you get your family involved? Um, And how can you really plan for that experience? Something that I think is 100% worthwhile is to, you know, travel can be great, but if you can also make that travel purposeful and immerse your kids in the culture and have your kids and yourself see other kids it, really living that language, playing with your child at a playground, that is priceless. So Lauren, but I know that's cost prohibitive. You know, it's not something everyone can do. So she talks about how you can sort of save and get your kids excited. That's episode 101. Um, and then one more i flag is, it's a different beast to teach little kids a language. For my kids, like, I don't feel like I'm teaching them. We're just living because I'm just talking to them. I'm parenting them. I'm not really going out of my way to specifically teach certain words because that's just how we communicate. But when your kids are older and they have more pressure from others, um, it's it can be a really different experience. So I had... Um, Another fellow podcaster on uh, episode one forty seven, Jennifer talks about her experience raising her American kids in Switzerland, which has its own challenges with Swiss German um and so many other languages spoken around. So that's a kind of a good spread of some of the experts that I've had on. Uh, But that's what's so fascinating about languages. There's so many ways of tackling it. And then uh, those are the experts, but I encourage you to listen to the parents' stories, too. They're really motivating, and they show you you are not alone. And that's what most language parents feel like. I mean, I do this, I've studied this, I work in this, and I still feel alone. No one in my circle of friends is raising a bilingual child. And it can feel lonely because there are different challenges, there are different wins. And I can share it with them, but they don't really understand it like a bilingual parent would. So it's it's so nice to hear from other people who understand how hard it is but are so committed to this work because of the benefits. So just check it out. There's a good uh, spread of different experiences there.
0: Mm. As you're talking, I really, I keep wanting to ask you, you know, like do you ever get sick of it? But then I thought the way you just described it as this like super rewarding experience and we acknowledge that it's hard and I think it's important to acknowledge this is not easy you know this is not going to be oh yeah and then we're just going to speak a little bit and it'll all come magically there was a lot of self-discipline in you know because I can't even you know people say that to me as like oh yeah your husband you know does he speak German do you speak German to him and I'm like if I spoke German to my husband all the time I've really struggled with this and I've researched you know how how to best do it and all I can do is give him a little bit of exposure but he knows there's no need like it's almost like the train's gone for him and unfortunately I value our relationship and our harmony um, a lot and I don't really want to cause conflict like a nice girl so it's it's tricky but just like learning a language as an adult or as a teenager, or at any age, just like teaching yourself a language, this is so worth it, right? So I don't really need to ask you, do you ever get sick of it? Because what I'm guessing is, would you say, yeah, but it's worth it?
1: Right. It's, it's, I wouldn't say it's sick, but I, it's hard work, but it's the most rewarding work. And I keep bringing back, um, because I've met with so many parents who are about to give up, and I say, not only are you going to regret it when your child is older, your child is going to be mad at you for giving up, that you didn't pass on the language, even if you just know a little bit. Um, there's so much value. There's so great research on the value of bilingualism health benefits, like the fact that it can delay the onset of Alzheimer's by over four years. Um, That alone is just gives me goosebumps to think that I can help my kids health wise. But it also shows them um, what it's like to be a global citizen and how to have empathy for others. We want what's best for our kids. And we also want them to be like good global citizens and care about the people around them. And being a bilingual child has shown to exhibit more empathy because we know what it's like to be in a setting where maybe we don't know everything um, and we're learning. And so when you see another child that feels out of place, bilingual children tend to be attracted to them and help them and help them come into the world around them. And so that alone... It's just, you know, again, you want more test for your kids, you want them to be good citizens. Here's just a little way of helping them to achieve that. And so keeping yourself reminded of that. And then again, why I think it's so important to think about what's the end goal and what you want your your kids to be able to do and to know, hey, at the end of this road, I would have done my best to make sure my kids are gonna be again in my case fluent in English and Spanish and be able to read and write in both of those languages so going back to those core values um, are really going to be what it's what centers me and motivates me and it's what you can do as well
0: Mm, that's such a good I think it's a good kind of core to to close on as well and to really go back to values and i often think about this you know like what what am i doing in my life how am i living the values that i uphold you know what are, what do i really really care about and how does that show up in my life because otherwise why why bother with anything right right that's like part of the reasons i learned languages is because i think everybody the more people learn languages and the more people realize that this is possible that we don't need to do it all in one go that we can build a healthy language habit and we can kind of put it into our lives and this doesn't you know that we're in this for life I think it, it's exactly like you say it makes people more tolerant and it I don't know I, I just believe it's going to make the world a better place it's absolutely it's my absolute core belief so you also run so I just want to give you a, you a little shout out for your website you also run a members community so if somebody listening is perhaps looking at how could this all work? How could, you know, how could I bring up my kid bilingually? Or you're like right in the middle of it and you are going, oh my God, this is so hard. And you're looking for some support and you're feeling lonely or you're just, you know, really, really curious. It's worth checking out bilingualavenue.com and then it's worth checking out Mariana's members area and perhaps give us a one minute preview of what happens there before before we say goodbye.
1: Sure. I, you know, that was the big thing that came out of me working with bilingual families. I mentioned is parents really feel alone, and there's no need to do it because a large majority of the population is bilingual and multilingual. So I realized parents really need to kind of hear from each other. So there's a forum in there, or there's training in there. But one of the best things I'm coolest things you do is right when you start is you create your language plan. You come out with like, what is the vision you have for your kids? And you kind of work backwards. Um, and you it's broken down into 24 different sections. You do it over a month. And you, you basically assess where is your exposure, where are your needs. And we come up with a plan, an individualized plan to help you get and achieve your goals um and so there through the community you share with others you share ideas and we do check-ins to make sure that we can tweak the different things that you're doing with your family Um, so it's been really rewarding to kind of help parents who want to take action i mean every one of your listeners um is clearly has a passion for languages if they've taken the time to make it this far into the conversation and listen to the podcast if you don't
0: please message me because i want to know why you're listening
1: right (laughs) um (laughs) So it's really cool to see. I hear all the time people say, I want my kids to be bilingual and they don't speak a word to their kid. Um, And I get it. It's hard, but it takes work. I I hate it when I when I people say, Oh, kids are like sponges, so just soak it all up. Well, they don't learn it by osmosis. You have to be able to expose them to the language. Mm. So it's really rewarding to see parents who are committed and maybe just don't know exactly how to make it all work, um, really see their progress and share their wins and their successes with their kids. So that's um what the community helps you to do. Fantastic.
0: Fantastic. So yeah, that's at bilingualavenue.com. I think we're we're out of time, even though I could listen to you talk about this for Uh, probably uh, three or four hours just straight up maybe get get a drink in (laughs) it's it's been so much fun having you thank you so much mariana for being on the show and i always end uh, uh, i always end the show by saying goodbye from me and goodbye from my guests so guys it's goodbye from me from the new fluent show and goodbye from mariana
1: thank you so much for having me
0: Thank you for listening to The Fluent Show. Don't forget that you can send us your comments and questions to be answered on the show to kirstin, that's K-E-R-S-T-I-N at fluentlanguage.co.uk or you can find us on Twitter at The Fluent Show. We're always so excited to hear from you. We read every message. Don't forget to review us. See you next week.